The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Our guest tonight has written many fascinating books with titles like Winter Lightning, Summer Lightning, Summer Thunder, Echoes of Thunder. But Matt Spruill III is not a meteorologist. He's a retired United States Army colonel, a former Gettysburg licensed battlefield guide, and the topics of those books respectively are Stones River, Second Manassas, Artillery at Gettysburg, and The Seven Days. We will talk with Master Battlefield Guide Matt Spruill tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you tonight from the Civil War Talk Radio Medical Annex in the den at 205 Oxford Road here in Greenville, North Carolina, and thus not speaking for East Carolina University, because we're not in the office tonight, uh, but rather uh, not speaking for the rest of the household, not Candy, the household cat, who I see is on the bed, not Heidi, the standard poodle, who's elsewhere in the house, uh, nor uh, Emily or my uh, grown children. It's just me, as it is every week on Civil War Talk Radio. Well, this is the first show of 2016. It's January. It's cold out. No snow here in North Carolina, unlike 
much of the rest of the country. But we're back uh, in action. Classes are back in session. It is good to be once again lecturing and uh, interacting with students and fellow faculty. It would be better if I were not uh, uh, nursing an aching back uh, with advanced age. Uh, this is the sort of thing that happens. And uh, last Friday, I was scheduled to talk to the Northern Illinois Civil War Roundtable. And as I was getting ready to go to the uh, airport, I turned the wrong way and tweaked something, and it uh, led to back spasms of exceeding discomfort. So while I was trying to uh, figure out what to do about that and, and find a way to remain mobile, I also discovered that the flights were being canceled one after another out of Greenville because of weather. So I didn't have to make the tough choice of whether I could somehow get there uh, while suffering uh, spasms because there was no way to get there. Uh, and I regret that and hope I can get out and see uh, the Northern Illinois Civil War Roundtable Group soon in 2016, perhaps. Uh, I know there are a number of listeners to the show there, and I, I would have liked to have been able to chat with you, but we'll have to try again. In any case, uh, I spent the rest of the weekend horizontal and then went off to school Monday, taught my classes, went to the faculty meetings, did everything. Uh, my back is all better. And on Tuesday morning, could not get out of bed, uh, could not rise up on an elbow. It was uh, struck again. So another day of rest. Today I went back and taught again, but I was seriously considering how I could do this show from a prone position. Uh, not doing that. Maybe that's too much information for you. Uh, I'm sitting up here at the Civil War talk radio home computer and uh, making this happen. And we'll continue to make things happen here uh, on campus with the show. We have uh, shows lined up for the next couple weeks and uh, others in the process of getting lined up. Next week, uh, Gregory Downs will join us to talk about his uh, new book, After Appomattox, Military Occupation and the Ends of War. And then on January 27th, Bill Backus, co-author of A Want of Vigilance, The Bristow Station Campaign, October 9 to 19, 1863. And then if all goes well, and I hope it will, on February 3rd, uh, Christopher Dickey will return. Uh, we had a mix-up last uh, semester, and, and uh, the show didn't come off, but I very much hope to get him on uh, to discuss his really intriguing book, our Man in Charleston, Britain's Secret Agent in the Civil War South. Keep an eye, as always, on impedimentsofwar.org for news of the new season. It will be there once I send it to Mark Gaffney, who runs the website and the Facebook page. If it's not there, it's because I didn't send it to him, not his uh, responsibility. But I'll make sure that all gets out there. One other thing to think about in the months ahead, if you have control over your schedule where you can take a week to devote to nothing but civil war exploration and uh, owe a certain amount of cash to, to pay for it, this hallowed ground uh, civil war tour will be offered from May 21 to May 29 by the Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours Company. And I mention that uh, because I'll be the uh, traveling historian with the group uh, for that tour. And I get paid whether there's one person or 50 on the bus, so I'm 
doing this just because I enjoy working with uh, Civil War Talk Radio listeners, and I'd be delighted if some of you are able to join us this year for the this hallowed ground tour. It is really a uh, uh, a well organized and, and fascinating tour, and uh, it's improving year after year uh, in the hands of uh, new ownership. Uh, the Stephen Ambrose Historical Tour Company took over from Matterhorn Travel when the owner there, uh, Ken Block, retired, and they're bringing new excitement and interest to this. So uh, give it a thought. If it'd be an interesting way to spend a vacation week. Uh, the weather should be good at that time of year, end of May, not too hot yet in the south, and uh, hope you can join us. In local news, uh, just to wrap up one loose end from last semester, the ECU administration, uh, using its talent for keeping news below the radar, below the horizon, uh, did in fact remove the name of Acock Residence Hall uh, during the winter break when nobody was around, so it got no uh, serious attention. Now the sign in front of the building just says Building 171 Residence Hall. Certainly that will evoke fond memories for the alumni years from now. Remember back in old Building 171? Ah, yes. Uh, but I'm sure they will name it after someone else if somebody that someone else comes up with a, the requisite uh, donation. Uh, if you have a few million lying around that you're not using and you'd like to have a building named after you, I would guess they'd probably be pretty accommodating. Uh, Civil War Talk Radio listeners did participate uh, in contributing to the building of Heritage Hall on campus, which was connected with the historical rethinking about ACOC, uh, Governor ACOC. But collectively, we did not give enough money to get the building named for us. So it will not be the Civil War Talk Radio Residence Hall, unfortunately. Uh, again, if you want to come up with that million and uh, you know send it here, I'll, I'll be I'll be sure it gets used for that purpose. Well, enough about uh, ECU and its business. Let's return to the 1860s, uh, where we belong, and talk to our guest tonight. Uh, as I said in the introduction, he is a retired United States Army Colonel. Uh, he was a licensed battlefield guide at Gettysburg and the author of numerous battlefield guidebooks. Uh, Colonel Matt Spruill III joins us this evening. Uh, Colonel, are you there? Yes, I am, Gary. How are you? Good. Welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Delighted to have you. Can can we go by first names? Can I call you Matt? Is that acceptable? Absolutely. And, and call me Jerry. It sounds like a, like a J. Uh, and that's... That's what everyone calls me. Um, so, the uh, there's so many places to start, but let me start by asking a little bit about you uh, and your own background. Uh, as a professional military person, were you interested in the Civil War before you started your career, or is that something that came out of your, your service? Uh, I've um, always been interested in uh, military history, especially uh, American military history. Um, I have uh, a B.A. in history from the Citadel and an M.A. in history from the University of Missouri. But when I was at the Army War College as a student uh, and doing um, staff rides with uh, J. Lou Voss and Hal Nelson, I became intensely interested in the American Civil War 
And for the last 30 years, I've concentrated uh, on on that war. Now, you, you, let me ask also about your own career. Um, and, and on behalf of uh, all our American listeners, thank you for your service to our country. Uh, what, where did you serve? What roles did you play? Um, I, I uh, went on active duty in 1964 as a lieutenant. Uh, my basic branch was armor. Uh, I served uh, a lot of assignments in tank battalions and armored cavalry squadrons. Um, I uh, was um, I was a graduate of the Command General Staff College and the Army War College, and I served on the faculty of both. Uh, I've served throughout the United States and uh, in Vietnam, Japan, uh, the Netherlands, Italy, Germany. About forty percent so, of my time in the army was spent overseas. So, so you have a, a very broad perspective, uh, both in, in time and place, from which to view uh, these Civil War battlefields. Uh, you mentioned uh, Harold Nelson, who was uh, the chief of military history at one time. Right. Uh, he wrote the the seminal battlefield guide on the Battle of Gettysburg, and I'm sure. Many of our, our listeners uh, have a copy of that book and are familiar with it. That that was back. I'm saying the 1980s, early 90s. Uh, in 1985, when I was a student there, uh, Jay Luvas and Hal Nelson uh, were were just finishing up the development of the Army War College Guide to the Battle of Gettysburg. And that was the first in the series of those books. Mm-hmm. That was to come out, and that's what watching them work on that is what got me interested in uh, deciding that someday I would do some books like that myself, and it also drew me closer into Civil War history. Was the uh, the guide to the battlefield of Chickamauga the your first uh, effort in that direction? That was my, that was my very first book. That's correct. Uh, that came out in. Um, 1992. Uh, it was done under the mentorship of Jay Luvas and Hal Nelson when I was still on active duty. Um, and in fact, uh, starting here in a couple of months, I'm going to revise and do a second edition. That book's been out quite a while, over 20 years. So I'm going to put together a uh, a second edition of that book uh, with. Uh, a lot of updates that have taken place uh, on the ground in the park and add in some additional material that I've discovered over time. Uh, that sort of anticipates a question I was going to ask about your, your Stones River book, which uh, is out in a new edition just last year. Uh, it, it's a question that I, I know the answer to. Uh, as an ex-lawyer, I learned don't ask questions you don't know the answer to. Uh, but people who are not uh, necessarily active in history will often say, how can you revise a, a history book? I mean, the history's already happened. What is there new to say? Uh, so what, what have you found about Chickamauga that, that's different from 1993? Well, uh, what has happened to Chickamauga is that there have been some areas um, that have opened up where you've got lines of sight, that now that you didn't have back in the, when I was working on that book in the late 80s and the early 90s. Um, 
so what I plan on doing is adding uh, is adding additional stops and positions and covering different aspects of the battle that virtually you couldn't do back then because of the uh, the tree growth and the the lack of visibility, if you will. Back in the '90s, the Western Theater was still. To, to some extent, the, the, the second theater. Everybody knew about Lee and Grant, Stonewall Jackson, Gettysburg, Chancellorsville. And the battles in the West did not get the same uh, attention from, from historians or from readers. And uh, your, your guide to Chickamauga you know, contributed, I think, to the, the push to pay more attention to the Western battlefields. Do you see that balance... Uh, where do you, where do you see the, the the key elements of the war coming, east or west? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, you know, the the east is uh, is an important theater, um, particularly because uh, when the Europeans looked at the American Civil War, that's essentially where they looked. Mm-hmm. Uh, they looked into the eastern theater. Uh, it, and at the same time, both capitals were there. So that drew a lot of attention. But while all that was going on, and uh, and Lee was, you know, essentially holding that part of the Confederacy together, the war was, uh, in the West, uh, was being won by Union armies against uh, Confederate armies. You know, it's, uh, you get... Um, you get Vicksburg, and you get the move down from uh, from Stones River, Tullahoma Campaign, Chickamauga, Chattanooga, Sherman's Atlanta Campaign. I mean that that drive essentially split the Confederate heartland right down the middle and broke its communications from the east to the west. So I think it, that's a very important um, theater of war, uh, and I think. Lately, that uh, you, more and more people are beginning to realize that as more and more uh, scholarly works are being published about the Western theater and the battles of the Western theater, and and talking about uh, how important that that area was to the uh, Union victory. I suppose some of the difficulty is just the the size of, of the theater. It's just so huge um, that. You know, I mentioned a leading historical tour this summer that I'll be doing uh, in the east, and in a week we can drive to seven or eight major battle sites in the west. It's a full day's drive between uh, some of these places. Uh, not there; it's just so much bigger scale that, that you, maybe that accounts for some of the reason why it was not as as popularly followed, at least at first. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, when you look at uh, the difference distance between uh, Washington and Richmond is what about a hundred, hundred twenty miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just about the same difference from um, Nashville to Chattanooga, and that's only just a very small segment of that western area. So that does have uh, you know an impact, or it did perhaps had an impact on. People wanting to spend the time to study it or write about it, but I think that's uh, I think there's been some really good stuff come out in the last fifteen twenty years that has really propelled this Western theater, you know, to the fore. And, and well, 
people are more and more beginning to understand that about how important the events that took place out there were to to what happened. Well, I think that's absolutely right. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back in just a moment. We're talking today with Colonel Matt Spruill III. He's the editor and author of The Guide to the Battle of Chickamauga uh, from 1993 and numerous other books since then. We'll be back with more from him and from me. I'm Jerry Prokopovich here on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with Colonel Matt Spruill III, author of numerous battlefield guides uh, on battles of uh, from Getty uh, from sorry Chickamauga uh, to Stones River, uh, the Seven Days, other places. In at the end of our first segment, we were discussing the uh, relationship of the Eastern and Western theaters and how the East typically gets more of the attention, but that has shifted over the last few decades, certainly. Um, Matt, I want to ask you about the, uh, the the concept of the staff ride, which uh, underlies the, the the beginning of the Army War College series uh, of guidebooks. What have you participated in staff rides? Uh, I have participated and I have conducted them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell us uh, how does a staff ride differ from a, a battlefield tour that? Uh, uh, that an ordinary uh, Civil War student might take. Yeah. Um, uh, and basically on a tour, uh, of course, uh, like yourself, you're going to be doing here um, in the spring, you know, you have a tour guide who 
takes you around and uh, points things out to you and tells you about what's going on, personalities, tactical situation, what's happening. You may walk part of the ground to get a feel for what's going on. And you get some feedback uh, in, in a good tour from, uh, from your audience, you know, some mm-hmm. back and forth about. With a staff ride, um, a staff ride is designed to use the battlefield and the battle as a teaching vehicle. Um, you're not necessarily, although you are to a certain degree, studying uh, Civil War tactics, but you're using that battlefield to talk about um, leadership, planning, why things happened, decisions that were made. And in its, in its ideal form, the way the Army conducted staff rides uh, early in the 20th century and, and into the 30s and the way that uh, Hal Nelson and Jay Luvas envisioned it and brought them back is that uh, you do considerable amount of study before mm-hmm. you actually get onto the ground. Uh, you have certain members of uh, the group who are tasked to uh, give presentations. It might be about uh, the uh, logistics or the administrative, or it might be about individual commanders. And you dis- you you get out on the ground and you discuss what's going on, but from that you try to pull together. Uh, what are we learning about what's happening here? What's what's the application here to today, if you will? Now, uh, a listener might think, you know, it sounds good, Civil War is an interesting thing to, to study that way, but the technology of the 20th and 21st centuries are so different from 1861 to 1865. Uh, is, how relevant are, are these Civil War battles to, to modern military professionals? Well, the technology is different, but, uh, you know, decision-making processes is our decision-making process. So why did, uh, why did Meade make this decision? What was, what was he thinking about? What were the factors involved in this? Um, what was going on? And, he, and the fact that he made this decision, then what was the outcome of that? You can, you can take that and move it forward into the 21st century, very easy. Uh, some of the some of the problems that uh, that exist among organizational organizational supply problems um, were the same in 1863 as they are in 2015. You're just talking about a different different cl- uh, type of supply. The ammunition's different. The weapons are different. Uh, the transportation is different. But you've still got the same organizational and how do I move this stuff forward and how does it all fit in? That's still the same as it was then. Hmm. And the, uh, go ahead. No. Um, there's, there's something. Let me tell you about something I and some guys have just started working on that, uh, sure. that, that kind of carries forward to this. H- having done what I've done now for 25 or 30 years, I am. Uh, I'm ready to to do what I call move to the next level. Mm-hmm. And the next level says that uh, once you know what happened, then you want to know why it happened. 
Uh, I did a book on Gettysburg uh, a few years back called Decisions at Gettysburg, which um, covers what I call the 19 critical decisions that define the campaign. So, you know, the question is, well, what's a critical decision? Well, a critical decision is a decision that was made that had such impact. It was, it was such a momentous decision. It had such impact that everything after that flowed from that decision. Had that decision not been made, then the events following and other decisions following would have been different. We would be looking at a, a, a different uh, history, if you will. Um, let me give you an example, if I might. Yeah, exactly. I was going to ask for an example. One of the critical decisions, and I'll use Gettysburg because everybody, sure. you know, there's a lot of knowledge about Gettysburg. But one of the critical decisions in my book, Decisions of Gettysburg, is that Sickles moves forward to the peach orchard, mm-hmm. and because Sickles moves forward to the peach orchard, the entire action and sequence of events on the afternoon of July the second flow in a certain way that they would not have gone had he not done that. For example, had he not moved forward to the peach orchard, you know, you look at what didn't happen to kind of understand why it happened. Had he not moved forward to the peach orchard, um, the peach orchard would just be a group of trees sitting out along the Amesburg Road. There would be no peach orchard, the, the wheat field, because his defenses would have been back... Uh, along um, Cemetery Ridge. Mm-hmm. So when Longstreet and his two divisions arrive, even though they would have found that Lee's concept of operations was based upon faulty intelligence, uh, they they would have been faced with a totally different situation. And now Longstreet would have had the opportunity to decide, uh, uh, am I going to attack from the Emmitsburg Road straight towards the high ground there, a little round top, and straight on with two divisions. Am I going to send one division straight on and try to flank them with another one? Um, so there's a whole different dynamic working there. Um, the way the Fifth Corps would have come into action would have been totally different. Um, rather than come into action piecemeal and scattered all over the place, they could have perhaps... Uh, come in and reinforced as an entire corps and extended the line a little bit further south off of uh, Little Round Top. Um, there would have been no counterattack by uh, uh, the, the division from um, the uh, Second Corps across the wheat field because that w- wouldn't have wouldn't have transpired. So that division would not have been pulled out of position. So there wouldn't have been a hole in. Um, Hancock's line that needed to be filled by moving troops from um, Culp's Hill over to the center of the Union line, and you wouldn't have had the situation where there was one Union brigade uh, holding Culp's Hill late on the evening of um, July the 2nd. So none of that would have transpired. So it's it's a rippling effect. Because he did make that decision, what transpired is what we called the second day on the southern flank of Gettysburg. So a group of guys and I are uh, are um, targeting off of that book, using it as an outline, and we are doing a, uh, we're in the process of writing a, a series of books, uh, critical decision books about various battlefields or campaigns. Um, 
the first one to go into the publisher will be University of Tennessee Press, and I will be shipping uh, that manuscript off to them next week. It'll be on Second Manassas. I'm doing that with my uh, oldest son, uh, Matt the Fourth. Shortly after that, I'll be shipping off a uh, a decisions at Stones River, which I'm also doing with uh, my second son Lee, who he and I did the uh, other book on Stones River Winter Lightning. And there's other authors that are working on Chickamauga, Chattanooga, the Atlanta Campaign, the Seven Days, uh, Antietam. So what what we're what we want to do is our, our concept is that we're going to produce a series of books that will look at. It won't be a a a, um, a new book on that particular battle, the narrative of that battle, but it will be or campaign, but it will be a book that will look in deep into what were the very few decisions out of all the thousands of decisions that were made. What were the true decisions? The critical ones that actually made this battle or campaign develop as it de- as it did develop. Now that ties in then with the the idea that you know technology may have changed, but the the human decision maker is still the same, and, and so the effects. Yeah, well, see, you can still you can studying. take this concept of the critical decision, mm-hmm. and you can go to any war that you want to go to. You can, you know, you can take that concept and and, and go into uh, the European theater or, or wherever, you know, in the Pacific Islands or the American Revolution or the Franco-Prussian War, and look and and try to and discover these these critical decisions that made these operations go the way they went. So that's an application that you can go anywhere with. Now, I went to Gettysburg once. Uh, Many years ago, when I was working at uh, the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, which was run by the Lincoln National Corporation, and they hired someone to do a, a seminar for their corporate leaders at Gettysburg, using the uh, examples on the battlefield as as lessons, uh, looking at these decision points uh, to help them make better business decisions. And I participated in that, and we talked about some things uh, similar to what you were talking about with the Sickles Corps advancing. But I, I found myself troubled, and still am a little bit, with the idea of using these scenes of, of, uh, of war not to train military people who, who are responsible for defending the country, but for training people who want to make a lot more money. Uh, do you have any thoughts about that uh, corporate I have seminars never, on um, I know some some. I have some good friends who have done that, uh-huh. taken uh, taken business leadership uh, on the ground and talked about um, decision making processes and um, how that how those develop and where it might take you. I have never done that myself, and I have uh, I've never attended one. It it doesn't give me any heartburn. I think you know studying leadership is studying leadership, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know exactly how it's done in that context because I've I've just never de- uh, I've never done that or I've never de- uh, developed into it. I find that I, well, I, I've got enough to keep me busy doing what I'm doing. <laughs> it sounds like it with the, the, the numerous books you have going there. 
Oh, I'm fascinated by the the experience and and uh, you know, career experience and learning that you bring to this process. Because one of the topics uh, I frequently discuss on the show with the guest is the difference between uh, professionally trained historians, academically trained historians, and uh, enthusiasts who just spend a, a lot of time and read a lot and then they write a book. But that leaves out between the popular historian and the professional historian a third category, which is the, the professional soldier, who perspective on all this must surely be different. Uh, do you see a difference there, having you know, led troops yourself? Uh, uh, does that affect how you see these Civil War decisions? I think uh, I think uh, I think you're right on uh, on that. Uh, that uh, the professional soldier brings a different slant to what you're looking at, um, as any other profession would. Um, I remember uh, when I like, when I was a student at the War College, and uh, I was on a, out with a group. We were out with Jay Lewis and Hal Nelson, and uh, Jay Lewis said said uh, she said, "You know, you guys need to write more. You need you need to write more because you bring a different perspective to this battlefield than I do." He said. Um, he said, I'm learning from you just like you're learning from me because you look out and you, when you look out at the ground, he said, I've learned that, uh, that you see things that I never even thought about. He said, but, but from being exposed to us, of course, he was, he was picking all this up. So I think that's, mm-hmm. that's part of it. And I've, um, I've had occasions when I've been out on, on staff rides or, or I had people on tour and talking about this, that, and the other. And, um, I've had people go, you know, I've been here many, many times and uh, looked looked over this uh, this area, and you're seeing some stuff I've never seen before. So, you know, I think there's a there's a different perspective, but just like from anything else. I, I think it's a, a it, it's it's interesting that that does exist, and it gives us uh, new ways to look at battlefields that we've all perhaps seen many times before. Uh, in a moment, we're going to take another break, but let me throw out a question you can think about over the break uh, because it's it's one that uh, I would find hard to answer. But uh, of, of all the battlefields you've looked at, the uh, Civil War battlefields you've studied or visited, uh, which one is the most interesting to you and why is that so? And I'll let you ponder that for a moment. We're going to take a short break. We're talking today with retired Colonel Matt Spruill III, author of numerous battlefield guides, most recently on Stones River, uh, working on an upcoming series of books on decisions in Civil War campaigns. We'll talk more with him. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live and on demand. 
No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Our guest tonight is Matt Spruill, author of numerous battlefield guides uh, from the Army U.S. Army War College series of battlefield guides. These guides, uh, some listeners may not be familiar with them. I guess most of uh, most of us have seen them and own copies of one or more. But they are uh, they're really well keyed to the battlefields that they cover. And the text in them consists primarily of excerpts from the official records or from other first-hand sources. So it directs you to a given stop on a battlefield. You get there, and then you read the account of some of the officers and men who fought there. Uh, so you you see what they were seeing as you read the words they wrote. It's a very uh, meaningful and uh, evocative way to learn about battlefields. Uh, well, Matt, I left you with the question of, of the many battlefields you've studied. Which one, uh, choose your adjective, most interesting, most impact, most important, uh, which one stands out for you? Well, you know, you were right. That is a tough question. <laughs> um, let me answer it this way, because I I think different battlefields um, can be viewed different ways, if you will. For example, and I'm basically going to be talking about battlefields that I've done guidebooks on. Um, Gettysburg and Chickamauga are very well marked. There's lots of monuments on both of them, lots of tablets. So it's easy to move around and orient yourself and know where you are and and look and see what's going on or and what might have happened. Um, Gettysburg more so than Chickamauga because uh, you've got uh, the wide open spaces where at Chickamauga, as it was in 1863, you've got quite a bit of woods in there. Um, but then then you've got uh, battlefields like Stones River. I, I really like Stones River. Um, I like Stones River, one, because it's, it's the battle that... Uh, 
was fought at the end of the year of 1862, which gave uh, Lincoln a victory when he'd had nothing but defeats in through November and December. Um, only about half of that battlefield, or that the ground that that battle was fought on, was um, is now national park land. Uh, there's a whole half of it out to the the west uh that is open ground but it's it's still possible if you know where you're going what you're doing and that's that's why my son and I did that guidebook uh, to to be able to have people do that it's possible to go out into that area even though a lot of it is is built up uh, and some of it is still open fields it's possible to go in out into that area and and follow that part of the battle, which essentially is uh, Bragg's uh, envelopment of Rosecrans' is right, and, and eventually come back onto the battlefield. The seven days is, is sort of the same way. You know, the, the seven days, uh, you, you have to move around across um, uh, modern roads, but it brings you to various uh, battlefield areas, some of them like um, uh, Gaines Mill and Malvern Hill, you know, belong to the Park Service, but there's other areas mm-hmm. that do not, but you can, with a guidebook, you can figure out uh, what happened there, and you can travel, you can either follow the Confederate Army, or you can follow the Union Army as it, as it retreated. Um, Chattanooga presents a, uh, a totally different when constructing a guidebook and looking at, at a battlefield, it presents a totally different uh, view because of the, the city of Chattanooga itself. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's possible to get on a Missionary Ridge and up on uh, Lookout Mountain and see what happened in both of those places. And Orchard Knob is still there, and if you look careful, you can see how the terrain developed. Uh, if you know where to go, you can go to Browns Ferry and Wahatchee. And you can see what happened there, and you can also go down to Ringo Gap. You know, there's there's thousands of people that drive down that interstate, and go through Ringo Gap, and don't realize there was a there was a battle fought there in 1863. So rather than say that, uh, you know, it's kind of hard for me to say that this is the one battlefield that I like the most. I think each and every mm-hmm. one of them. Uh, to include Second Manassas, which I've just done a book on that, even though Second Manassas doesn't have the the markings or the the, the, the monuments like Gettysburg or Chickamauga, it, it, the ground is still open, and you can you can get out there and and figure out uh, what happened and who was doing what and what decisions were being made. Um, so I think each one to try to answer your question. It, each one kind of brings something in itself to the table, if you will, rather than, than have a, a favorite battlefield. I, <laughs> I, I, I tend to think that you can draw certain aspects from each, and, each one of them differently. They all give you a different opportunity <laughs> to study something in a different way. There really is a, an appeal to studying a battlefield that that's not necessarily a park service or by a state historical agency where the development is taking place around it. 
but you know what happened there, and, and uh, you can go, as you say, follow sometimes a trail of the armies uh, into places that are not not marked, but but we know from from what we read, this is where things happened. Uh, at the same time, there's been a lot of progress. Uh, well, I, it seems to me that there's been a lot of progress in battlefield preservation. Do you have you observed this uh, over your career uh, advances and how? Oh yeah, it's, uh, I mean it's uh, it's the difference between night and day. You know, and uh, one of the foremost uh, foremost organizations that's doing this is, uh, of course, is the Civil War Trust. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, in a lot of my books, I, I have a paragraph it, towards the end of the introduction when I, where I talk about um, the, the battlefields, and I, I sort of I sort of go this way that uh, the the generation that fought the Civil War and the generation that followed them, for example, your and my grandfathers, who knew those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, are gone. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that right. we have physically that connects us with that generation is the battlefield and the artifacts. Now, and just to maintain that connection for us and for future generations, then these areas have got to be preserved. And it, and and I, I go into saying, you know, and if if you know, you should seriously think about uh, joining some preservation organization like the Civil War Trust, you know, and, and contribute to uh, something that future generations will be able to see what we're seeing rather than uh, a bunch of buildings built. Yeah, that is true. It, it is gratifying to see when, when progress is made and, and places are restored or, or preserved from from uh, having another parking lot or Walmart put up. Uh, I'm normally ask uh, a person about their upcoming projects. Uh, we've talked a little bit about your, your uh, critical decision series. So let me ask you a, a backward-looking question instead. Which authors, Civil War authors, uh, uh, do you find most uh, inspiring or enjoyable or informative? Who do you like to read? Well, you ask, you ask tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> There's um, many... I got a I got a range all over the all over the field. My uh, my personal Civil War library is about eight hundred books, mm-hmm. uh, and they're written by a whole slew of people. Uh, I tell you one one Civil War author that I I, I enjoy reading, and of course he's 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 gone now. Was Thomas Conley? Yes, uh, excellent. Particularly his. Uh, Army of the Heartland and Army of Glory, his two-volume uh, two work on uh, the Army of Tennessee. I, I enjoy his stuff. I enjoy uh, Stephen Woodward's. Um, you know, there's a, there's a new author um, coming out of uh, Savs Beatty uh, books, uh, Dave Powell, who's doing a three-volume work on Chickamauga. Um, he's got volume one and two out. He's uh, written some really... So he's got some really great stuff in his books on Chickamauga. He, he does. I'm, I'm a big fan of Dave Powell. I was supposed to speak to his roundtable uh, last Friday before I had a little back flare-up, and I couldn't make the trip, uh, yeah. and then they canceled the yeah, flights he, anyway. But he's a good fact, guy. He's yeah. going to be one of our authors on the critical... He's one of our critical decision authors. 
Oh, good. good. But I uh, I had an occasion uh, this uh, uh, this past September. Uh, he and I and Frank Varney were at uh, Chickamauga doing book signings for a weekend, and I had an occasion to talk to both of them. And uh, the depth of knowledge that Dave Powell has on the Chickamauga <laughs> campaign and battle is just uh, it's, it's amazing. Pretty amazing. Just amazing. Well, let me throw more tough ones since I'm, I'm doing well with that this evening. Uh, this is what we used to call as the uh, Civil War talk radio time machine. Uh, if you could go back and spend 30 minutes in the 1860s and then come back here safely, who would you want to talk to during that time? I think I would like to talk to uh, Freeman McGilvery, who commanded one of the artillery brigades of the Union Artillery Reserve at Chickamauga. You know, he's the guy that, uh, when the uh, his part of his brigade was put in position along the Wheatfield Road between the Wheatfield and the Peach Orchard to fill that gap on the second. And then they were forced out of there, and they fell back. You know, one of his batteries, um, Bigelow's battery, you know, uh, held up the Union attack for a while, sacrificed themselves when McGilvery established a uh, a line there along uh, Seminary Ridge where that hole was, where that Union infantry division had gone off to fight in the wheat field. Mm-hmm. And then his, uh, his gun line on the 3rd was uh, almost doubled. Somewhere's up to around uh, high 30s, low 40s in guns, uh, in a position to fire into the flank of uh, of that Confederate attack that came in towards the center, uh, particularly into the right flank of uh, Pickett's division. I I would really like to talk to him about uh, you know how he set that up and how he controlled controlled that and his leadership skills. That's, that ties into so well with our discussion earlier of the different perspective that a uh, professional military person might have from uh, either the the enthusiast or the the professional historian. Uh, I, I don't think anyone's ever said you know McGilvery's name as, as the answer to that question, but that makes perfect sense. Uh, technically, how did he do what he did? Uh, I, I can see why you'd want to ask that as, as a question. So uh, remind us again, what is the next book coming out in your series? Uh, the next book uh, that will be going into the uh, publisher uh, will be uh, Decisions at Second Manassas. And literally that is being put into the mail next week. And that's being done by my oldest son and I. Mm-hmm. And that will be followed within two months uh, with a second one, uh, Decisions at Stones River which is uh, being done by uh, my other son, Lee, and I. Well, we will look forward eagerly to seeing those come out. From there, um, I'll be doing a revision on that War College guidebook. And then that on the Chickamauga book, so more the good Chickamauga things book, coming. Chickamauga book, that's right. Um, the, one of the problems with this show is that it, everybody's book budget gets uh, wiped out because there's so much interesting stuff coming out and uh, I know listeners will want to get hold uh, of many of these books, Winter Lightning and Stones River uh, Summer Thunder uh, the Battle 
the, the Boar College Guide to the Battle of Chickamauga, any of these books, uh, you'll definitely enjoy and, and want to get uh, your hands on, as well as the updated versions coming out soon. Uh, well, Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been uh, fascinating to talk with you. Jerry, thank you very much for inviting me. It's been very enjoyable. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. (laughs) 